We are thankful everyone is here tonight, so appreciative of the fact that you've come here. We are also thankful to have with us Brother Don Williams tonight, along with his brother Ron. We know that they are doing our grief and loss seminar this week. Uh, Don, I had intended to allow Brother Randy Painter to introduce you tonight. He get out, got up and did the announcements. A few weeks ago, he called me a one-legged preacher. Oh, no. And after I preached, he said he had, he had never listened to a one-legged preacher before. <laughs> and I sure was afraid he'd get up and introduce our speaker tonight as being a one-armed preacher. That's right. <laughs> no, we've had fun with that. We appreciate Brother Don. I've known Don actually a little bit longer than I have Ron. Uh, pumped gas for Don a number of years ago over in Ewan when he was preaching at Ewan, Alabama. And on the, I owned a little, along with my uncle, a little service station. And so that's where I first met Don. Many of you know their father, Ron and Don's father, uh, who worked with the Northport congregation for a number of years. Brother Joe Williams did a, an outstanding job there. And he has raised two great sons. Don has uh, been a graduate of Freed Harding University, Harding Graduate School uh, of Religion. Uh, he has preached for a number of years. For the past several years, he has been the executive director of the uh, North Alabama Children's Home up in Florence, doing an outstanding job with that. And through the years, he has conducted a number of not only grief seminar, uh, seminars, but also uh, taught classes and done different things for various groups along the lines of grief. And we appreciate so much the work that he has done. He and Ron both are uh, a great asset to the Lord's church. We appreciate them so much. He's married to Lisa. They've been married nearly 40 years, have two sons and uh, five grandchildren. And uh, Don said that his uh, two lovely daughters-in-laws, he said they're one day going to choose his uh, nursing home. So <laughs> I'll mention them as well. Brother Don, we're going to turn the floor over to you. Thank you. It is a joy to be with you tonight, and I appreciate uh, your kindness and the things that you said concerning what we have done so far, and hopefully you will choose to be a part of uh, things in the future as well. We'll be doing classes tomorrow night and also... Tuesday night and Wednesday night. Will that be in here? Or Okay, they'll be in here, 6.30 to 8, and so we would love for you to be a part of it. You have a handout entitled, What This Congregation Can Do to Help Others in Grief. I see all these good-looking young people up front, got their pens out, ready to write down things, and I hope that that will be helpful to you. As we talk about some very practical things that can be done to help people in those first few hours, those first few days, after the loss of a loved one. Terry Kettering writes, There's an elephant in the room. It's large and squatting, so it's hard to get around it. Yet we squeeze by with, How are you? And, I'm fine. And a thousand other forms of trivial chatter. We talk about work. We talk about the weather. We talk about everything else except the elephant in the room. There is an elephant in the room. We all know it's there. We're thinking about it as we talk. It's constantly in our minds. For you see, it's a very big elephant. But we don't talk about the elephant in the room 
Oh, please say her name. Oh, please say Barbara again. Oh, please, let's talk about the elephant in the room, for if we talk about her death, perhaps we can also talk about her life. Can I say, Barbara, and have you not look away? For if I cannot, you are leaving me alone in a room with an elephant. Life is such that we'd love to talk about Alabama or Auburn football. We'd like to talk about the change of weather. We'd like to talk about what's going on at work or at school. But sometimes in the throes of death, what we need to do is just sit, down, sit, sit across from somebody and let them talk about what's near and dear to them. And not be afraid to mention that loved one or loved ones by name and thus tell our story about what made them so important and special in our life. In the 25 years that I've taught grief support classes, the answers that we give tonight are directly from those people, maybe 700 or more, who said that these were the things that were done for them or to them that were helpful. And so number one is we look at what we can do to help people in times of loss. Number one, nothing is as important as your presence. In times of loss, nothing is as important as your presence. That's exactly what these three friends did of Job's. Once they heard about the terrible losses that he had sustained, the loss of his entire future, ten children, the loss of his income, all his abilities to trade and gain from others had been taken away. And now the loss of his health, maybe even the loss of his wife who had said, why don't you just curse God and die? They come to make an appointment. The Bible says to comfort him and to mourn with him. But notice what they did when they got there. They didn't recognize him. Grief causes you to look differently, not only inwardly, but also outwardly. Imagine somebody who is contorted in pain. Needless to say, you're not going to look the same as you normally do. And yet they still did not run away. In fact, they tried to become like him. They tore their garment, which was an outward form of grief. They sprinkled dust on their heads, which again was a form of showing one in extreme trauma. And then they did the very best thing possible. They sat down in his circle of pain, not for an hour, not even not for a day, but for seven days. And not one word was uttered. And yet Job knew that he had three friends that were there with him in his valley of pain. It's not what we say, as we'll talk about in just a moment, but it's your presence in time of loss. For 30 years I served as a full-time minister before being at the children's home for the last 10 years. As their minister, if someone at 3 o'clock in the morning called me to say that their loved one had just passed away, whether it was at the hospital or at the nursing home, I thought that if you thought enough of me as your minister to let me know of this sadness, the least I could do is get up and put my clothes on and come be with you 
And people seem to appreciate that. Nothing takes the place of your presence. Whether it's a sudden unanticipated loss, which is entirely different from an anticipated loss, even though both of them are equally painful. Regardless of the nature of the loss, if at all possible, try to go and be with those people. I love the book, Winnie the Pooh, edited by A.A. A. Milne. And in the book, you may recall that, that Pooh Bear goes to visit the rabbit in his burrow. The rabbit offers him some honey and he eats too much. You may recall that as he tries to leave the burrow, he gets stuck. Try as he can, the rabbit can't get him out of the hole. And so he calls for his friends to come to him. In fact, he's so, t- so stuck that he cannot even sigh, as the book suggests. But what does he do? He calls his friends not for them to help him, but to come and stay with him, to read him a story and to offer words of comfort to a bear wedged in great tightness. We can't take the loss away. We can hopefully insulate some of the pain. But just our presence means so, so very much. I'm aging myself when I make this statement, but some 50 years ago, on a Wednesday night in Northport, Alabama where my dad served as their minister for 57 years, we got a phone call that our grandfather in Columbus, Georgia, had had a major stroke and that mom and the family needed to come and be with our grandmother and the family there. We'd already gone to bed at night and mom and dad got Ron and I and Cindy up and said we need to start packing to go to Columbus, Georgia that very night. It was on a Wednesday evening after services. As we were beginning to pack, the doorbell rang late at night. Here came Hoover and Shelby Reese, one of the deacons of that congregation. How they had heard about what had happened to us and that phone call, we will never know. They had three children. I guess they just left them in bed. We're not sure what happened. But here they were, beginning to get out suitcases, beginning to throw clothes into the washer to get us ready for that journey that ultimately would lead in the death of our grandfather. I remember how important it was to my parents that Hoover and Shelby were there. And I remember as a 10-year-old how important it was For us, that this couple that seemed like second parents to us were there as well. About nine months ago, Miss Shelby lost her battle with dementia and passed away. The visitation was going to be and burial was going to be in Tuscaloosa. There were many things that needed to be done on that occasion, including taking my wife to Birmingham with an appointment at UAB. But both of us decided that regardless of the distance and the time that we had to work around to be able to get there, we had to be there at all cost. Because 50 years ago, that couple had made an indelible impression on our lives 
at a time when we needed them the most. And so we were there for that funeral and we're there to show our love to that family. Nothing takes the place of your presence. Number two, say little. Say little. In fact, we go back to Job chapter 2. The only time problems began was when these guys opened their mouth in chapter 3. And basically said, okay, Job, now that the grief is over, maybe they didn't put it that way, but why did all this happen? There must have been a reason. What did you do wrong? That's when the problems began. And so it's not the words that you say. I love one of our ladies in our grief class who would say, when I'm at the, at the funeral home and the family's standing beside their loved one, I walk up to them and say, I don't know how you are feeling, but can I give you a hug? That says two things. First of all, they truly do not understand because we don't. And secondly, you still care. And that's what grieving people want to know from you. You truly don't understand how I feel, but secondly, you still care. And that's what she would do by that statement. Say little. Number three, do much. Do much. Actions speak louder than words. We looked at that verse in 1 John 3, verse 18 this morning about not just in word and tongue, but in deeds, that is in action and in truth. Get ready to write, because I want to give you a list of 17 different things that people have said, these were things that were done for me in those first few hours, those first few days, that made a great help to me in times of my loss. Number one, offer to make phone calls for them. If the loss was sudden and unanticipated, they are in shock. They can barely even function the idea of being able to know who to call might be so hard for them. And so it may be that they may want you to do so. Number two, keep small babies and our children during the time of the funeral visitation. Often there's the visitation at the funeral home or maybe even at the church building the night before the funeral. Let them know, I know you want to visit with family and yet you're concerned about little Johnny and little Susie. After they have come and, and seen their loved one, we're going to take them home with us. We're going to keep them for the next several hours. When you get ready to come tonight, they'll be there at the house for you. That means a great, great deal. Number three, offer to keep out-of-town guests. Sometimes folks want to visit and come to funerals, but they just don't have the means financially to do so. That offer might mean a great deal. Number four, go pick up relatives that are flying in or perhaps coming in by bus. Again, that may help. Ladies, number five, receive and check in the food. People want to bring food. They often bring it in great amounts all at one time. Whose dish was this? You allow somebody else to take care of that so that other things can be taken care of. Number six, the offer to take or pick up clothes at the cleaners. Typically, you dress up for funerals. It may be that clothes need to be taken to, to, the, to the cleaners. Somebody can do that. Men, here's something for you. Number seven, take the car that's going to be used in the funeral procession and wash it. Get it ready for that event. I remember on one occasion, 
We had a deacon there at the North Carolina congregation that lost his mother to death. She lived in Florida. We were not able to go to that funeral. But the elders said, take his car, take it down, get the oil changed, get it checked out, fill it full of gas, get it washed. It was just a way of saying, on this trip that you have to take to bury your mother, please know that we are thinking about you by getting ready your vehicle for that event. Number eight. It may sound somewhat mundane, but there may be the offer to stay with the body after the death. One occasion, when a father died at ECM Hospital, the children had to go make arrangements, but they didn't want to leave Daddy alone. I offered to stay with him there in the room until the funeral people came. They appreciated that because of what they needed to do and yet did not want to leave Him. Sadly, number nine is something that we need to keep in mind. Offer to stay with the home during the time of the funeral. Sadly, because of social media, people hear about maybe well-meaning situations. They put out the sign, slow funeral area ahead. For some people, that's an opportunity to go and steal them blind. And sadly, that recently happened in Florence, Alabama. On the main thoroughfare of Cox Boulevard, a godly gospel preacher who died and who lived on the right down from Mars Hill bookstore, if you know where that is. And during the funeral, they came and robbed them blind. How terrible. And yet maybe the offer to stay with the home, especially if it's out in the country, would be greatly appreciated. Number 10, rolls of quarters to give people at the hospital if it's before the death, helping with parking and such like. Number 11, ladies, the offer to clean the home. Let's imagine that somebody has died and they were in a hospital away from here. And it's going to be hours before they come back and yet all the people are going to come in. I've known of Ladies that would go in and clean that home. Get it ready for all the visitors that would come in. Number 12, men. Here's another one in the summertime. Mow the yard. Get it ready for all the people that will come in. The last thing that they need to do is being out in the sun, working whenever there's grief and things taking place. And so just the offer of getting the yard ready for all the folks who are going to come. Number 13, Offer to help with the thank you uh, notes and perhaps the buying of stamps. If a person has died very suddenly, that's a traumatic event to be able to write those thank yous. They may need your help. Number 14, help in picking out clothes that will be worn the day of the funeral. I've had some people tell me, Don, I could not have done that without, and they name who it was. She came in. She picked out not only what Mama would wear in the casket, but also what we would wear. That meant so, so very much. Number 15, helping with the paperwork after the death. So many things that need to be done, and that might be very, very helpful. Number 16, giving a box of Rubbermaid box containers and tops for leftovers. 
Eventually those dishes have to go back to the people. What do you do with all these hordes of food? That Rubbermaid can be helpful in that regard. And then number 17. Somebody recently said that when there is a loved one that has died in their congregation, they bring in a box. And in that box are rolls of toilet paper, paper products, forks, spoons, napkins, paper towels, plates, all those things that you're going to have to have because people are going to be eating in your home. And that just saves you from having to run to Walmart or things of that nature. Number four, be alert. Be alert to minor things that can become major. Rather than saying, call me now if you need me, look for things that can be done. Can you iron the clothes that will be worn the day of the funeral? A lady up the road from where I live lost her husband suddenly to death. And she said, the day of the funeral, we decided to eat back at the home after the funeral rather than at the church building. When we got back to the home after the funeral, as we walked in, the table was completely set. A lady had gotten all the food out, had warmed it all up, had ice and tea in the glasses, had everything set. All we had to do was sit down and have the prayer and eat. She left. An hour or so later, she came back and she cleaned it up all by herself. She said, I'll never forget what that woman did on that traumatic day to help us get through it in that regard. The late brother Brad Brumley from Freed Hardeman University tells the story of a family that in one day's time through a car accident lost the patriarch, the grandfather, his adult son, and his own son. Three generations in one car accident that was wiped out. The next day, the neighbor that lived next to the patriarch family walked over, asked for the mother, the grandmother of the home to come to the door, expressed his great sympathy to her for all their terrible losses, and then said, can you please give me the shoes that will be worn by your family the day of the funeral? I want to polish them. Little thing? Maybe. You reckon they'll ever forget what he did on that particular occasion? Not at all. A button sewed on. Some have said, I could have never done it, and yet somebody helped me. Be alert to minor things that become major Number five is the idea of food. Food is a way of showing care and concern for a family before the funeral. But in some cases, the food may be more valuable after the funeral. The word companion literally means mess mate. It means to come with bread. Some of the older people in the audience know that in years past, particularly several years ago, People, after the death of a loved one, would bring their best dish of food in their best dish. And then a couple of weeks later, come back and visit with that family again and receive that dish from them. It may well be, especially if the loss was sudden and unanticipated, 
and very traumatic. It may well be that that congregation could do well by saying, for the next month, every Tuesday night, somebody from church is going to be bringing you and your family a meal. That does two things. First of all, it lets them know the Tuesday nights are taken care of, but even more importantly, that somebody's caring enough from that church to come and bring you something to eat. Some use ret- containers that don't have to be returned, and that easily can be done as well. I knew an elder that always buy, would always buy breakfast food and take it to the home because if they had family... People are going to need to eat, and yet so by somebody doesn't need to get up and make breakfast, and so he would buy breakfast products, coolers of ice, plastic containers. All those things are important. Number six, mark your calendar. Mark your calendar. When a loved one has died that was significant to you, put it down in your calendar that this person died on this date, and then about two weeks later, You go and visit them. You see, people come in hordes right after the funeral and around the funeral, but sadly 97% of friends stop visiting two weeks after the funeral. And so it's important that you be there with them and for them and try to help them, and thus you mark your calendar. Romans 12 verse 15 still says, Rejoice with them that do rejoice and... Weep with them that weep. We don't get the choice. It's not that we can be all happy when good things come in somebody's life. That's wonderful. But we've also equally got to be there in the valley of pain with them for their journey that they must take in grief. And so we mark our calendar and we try to be there with them. Number seven, remember special days. Special days without that loved one by their side. The birthday of the deceased, the date of their anniversary, the anniversary if they were married, holidays, all of these are going to be difficult times. We need to remember those special days. A text or a phone call or a card letting them know that this is something that they're not going to deal with without your help. And that you're going to be there with them and for them. Remember the time that they come back to church for the very first time. A congregation has as their motto where no one stands alone and no one sits alone. That's important. Not just for those who have lost loved ones, but for visitors and for single people and for divorced people. It's important that folks feel they have a family that is there with them and for them. I was talking about these events and afterwards somebody came up to me and said, this man in our congregation loved his wife. They had no children, but he loved his wife dearly. And every Valentine's he would buy flowers for her and he recently died. And so on Valentine's Day, we sent her flowers in his memory. That's what we're talking about remembering people and helping them in time of need. Number eight, memorial. Memorial. Mark the event of the death with respect. If the funeral's here at the building, 
allow men to take turns waiting on the family, ushering, helping out in various ways. If you knew the deceased well, sometime after the funeral, take the time to write out thoughts about that person. You see, grieving people are not going to forget their loved ones, but they're afraid that we are. And so when we memorialize, we lift up the memory of that person by talking about who they are and who they were and what they meant to you, then they're still alive. Hebrews 11 verse 4 talked about Abel. That though he was dead, yet still he speaks. There's a lot of people in this congregation that have died that still speak to you on a regular basis because of who they were, what they stood for, and what they meant to you. We need to just make sure that other people who are related to them know that as well. Number nine, listen carefully. Listen carefully. We need to give our friends permission to grieve, to talk into our presence, to, to say the things that they need to say. We need to be with them whenever things are well and when things are not so well. Again, Romans 12, verse 15. Typically, it's also important that we not be afraid to say their loved one by their names. Even the death of children. If it's too harsh or hard for them, they will let you know. But folks, for the most part, they love to hear the names of loved ones that have departed I remember on one occasion giving an illustration of someone that had died some three years from that point. But the lesson fit, and I gave the illustration about that person. And after the service, someone said, thank you so much for mentioning Aunt so-and-so. I hadn't heard her name mentioned in a long time. Nancy Williams puts it this way. The mention of my child's name may bring tears to my eyes, but it never fails to bring music to my ears. If you are really my friend, please don't keep me from hearing the beautiful music. It soothes my broken heart and fills my soul with love. Doug Manning says that there are three words beginning with the letter H that we would do well to remember. First of all, hush. It's not the words necessarily that we say. Secondly, hug them. Who tonight in this audience has not received a hug today from a family member or from a friend? Is there a widow or a widower? Is there someone single? Is there a young person going through difficult times that just simply needs someone to say, I love and appreciate you? The late Brother Marshall Keeble would often go to gospel sermons, gospel preaching, and he would bring some of his young preacher boys that would preach ahead of him. Some of you perhaps heard him in years past. On one occasion, one of these young preacher boys had grown up and had now his own congregation and was preaching on a regular basis. And one day he called up Brother Keeble and he said, Brother Keeble, I have a problem. He said, well, what is it, son? He said, well, the cistern of the congregation, they just keep on hugging on me. What do I do? He said, son, do as I do. He said, what's that? Stand still till they're through. (laughs) 
I mentioned this in the widow's, in widower's class where a lady wrote during one of our classes, it's been three weeks since my husband died. Where do I get my hug today? And she was being honest. Thirdly, we need to hang in there with them. Be there with them through the grief journey. And then finally, number 10, make sure that the church feels like a family to them. God had it right when in 1 Corinthians 12, He talks about the church as a physical body. And He says we all have different parts to play, but we all work together for the common good. And then He said in verses 25 through 27, there should be no schism, division in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And then He goes on ahead to elaborate. And if one member suffer... All the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Then he says, now you are the body of Christ, and each of you is a part of it. That's the way it ought to be. That as the body of Christ here at Midway, when one member is hurting, we all hurt. And one member is rejoicing, we all rejoice. We need to make sure that this is true even of the children. Children are often forgot, given, referred to as forgotten grievers because a lot of times we don't think about their hurts and their pain. And yet the fact is that they can and do grieve. Some years ago, somebody wrote me a poem that they had found on the internet entitled, Is Heaven in the yellow pages. Mommy went to heaven, but I need her here today. My tummy hurts and I fell down. I need her right away. Operator, can you tell me how to find her in this book? Is heaven in the yellow part? I really don't know where to look. I think my daddy needs her too at night. I hear him cry. I hear him call her name sometimes, but I really don't know why. Maybe if I call her, she'll hurry home to me. Is heaven very far away? Is it across the sea? She's been gone a long, long time. She needs to come home now. I need to reach her, but I simply don't know how. Help me find the number, please. Is it listed under heaven? I can't read these big, big words. I'm only seven. I'm sorry, operator. I didn't mean to make you cry. Is your tummy hurting too, or is there something in your eye? If I call my church, maybe they will know. Mommy said that when we need help, that's where we should go. I found the number to my church tacked up on the wall. Thank you, operator. I'll give them a call. Tonight in Jasper, Alabama, if there was a child in need... What they think about the Midway Church of Christ is the place that they could go to find help in time of need. My hope is that something we've said tonight will help you as you try to help others in your grief journey. Our Lord certainly wants to help us in times of loss. Isaiah 53 said about Him 800 years before He was born that He would be a man of sorrow as and one acquainted, that is, he lived with grief. And yet, 
He tells us in 1 Peter 5 or 7 that we can cast all our care upon Him because He cares for us. And there's that promise in Hebrews chapter 13 that He has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So that we can boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what men shall do to me. Tonight, if you're not a child of God, but accountable and responsible for the sins in your life, He wants you to heap your burdens upon Him. He wants to wash away the sins in your life. He wants to give you a family of God, the church that He gave His own blood for, so that they can help you and sustain you in whatever problems you have. In this audience tonight, the greatest majority have already made that decision to become a child of God. Maybe you've allowed the burdens of your life to separate you from God in this church, and you need to come back home. There'd be no better time than tonight to do that. Or maybe simply you just need to allow your church family to know of the burdens and struggles that you are bearing so that they can pray with you and for you and help you bear those burdens. We sing a song that asks the question, Does Jesus care when my heart is pained? And the chorus so sweetly says, Oh yes, He cares. I know He cares. His heart is touched with my grief. Why not come to Jesus tonight as we stand in